Uh, But let's come to God uh, as we come to his word in prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we're in heavy territory tonight as we think about the topic of loneliness. Please encourage us through the words of this psalm. Please give us hope in Christ and help us to feel the glory of being in relationship with you, the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I just have to stop and process again just how unusual this moment of time is. Uh, Three months ago, I was totally unfamiliar with the concept of social distancing, but now, uh, as soon as I step out of my home, it affects every aspect of my life. Uh, We have become a socially distant society. And now some of you, I imagine, are are loving this moment, the slower pace, uh, working in your PJs. But I suspect others are finding this moment an incredibly lonely road to walk. Uh, In the middle of the the heart of the lockdown last month, John Brogdon, the, the chairman of Lifeline Australia, said these words. In effect, COVID-19 social distancing, isolation and lockdown restrictions are virtually ordering people to be lonely. But you see, the sad truth uh, is that in Australia, we were actually experiencing an epidemic of loneliness before the pandemic of COVID came on the scene. Uh, The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare conducted a study last year and found that one in four Aussies report that they're currently lonely at a general level, with one in two Australians reporting that they feel lonely for at least one day in the week. See, for all our technological advancements, all our material prosperity, uh, we are a very lonely country. Well, the author of our psalm tonight also was a man familiar with loneliness. See, David, King David, was driven away from his family and friends by a jealous king out to kill him. David spent time literally alone in a cave. In fact, it was in that cave that David wrote the lonely words of Psalm 142, where he says, look and see, there is no one on my right hand. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. In Psalm 25, um, we see another instance of loneliness for David, where he cries out to God, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. But despite his pain of relational absence, David held fast to the glory of God's presence in his life. And I think that's what we see in Psalm 139, his other psalm tonight. David clings to the fact that God knows him, that he is with him, that he's made him, and that he'll hear him in his distress. And that is actually the great hope that Jesus makes possible for his followers today. Though we may be lonely, we are never truly alone. Now, there are four parts to David's 
psalm that I think really draw out the goodness of being in a relationship with God. Uh, I've labelled them on the outline, Lord, you know me, Lord, you're with me, Lord, you made me, and Lord, hear my cry. So let's think about that first one, Lord, you know me. I see it's tough when uh, people don't, when we feel like people don't really know us. It's particularly tough when we feel like the people who should know us actually don't know us. I remember speaking with a friend after his dad gave the speech at his 21st birthday party and his comment was cutting. He said, that speech showed me just how little my dad actually knows me. But even those who do know us pretty well don't really know the deepest parts of us. They don't really know the deepest longings, the deepest fears, the deepest temptations. But David is telling us here that to be truly known, we have to go to God. See, look at what David says in verses 1 to 3. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. In fact, there's no language all throughout verses 2 and 3. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, verse 4. You see, God doesn't just know what you had for breakfast this morning. God actually knows all the different thoughts that were swirling around your head as you ate your breakfast. What you were worried about that day. Who you didn't really want to see. The the persistent grief that kind of just sits with you day in, day out. God doesn't just know your habits, he knows you. But this passage shows that he also cares for you. Uh, We see that in the imagery of verse 5, I think. David tells us that you, God, lay your hand upon me. Now, this isn't the hand of judgment on one of God's enemies. It's the hand of comfort on one of God's children. And so David thinks of this and says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. A part of what makes us lonely is the belief, I think, that that no one really knows us. Or maybe they recognize uh, our face at church, and maybe they can spit off a few facts about our job or our hobbies, but they don't know me. Now, that might be true of others, But it's not true of God. He knows you, says this psalm. But he doesn't just know me, says David. He's with me wherever I go. And that's the second part of David's prayer. Lord, you're with me. Now, most of us want someone uh, who will stick by our side in life. Someone that we can depend on to be there when we need them. Um, I think you see this desire captured perfectly in in Marvin Gaye's fantastic song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Uh, The song is all about uh, his commitment to be present and available to the one he loves. Uh, You know the chorus, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Now, most of us, I think, long for someone like the author of those words, particularly when we're lonely. 
The only problem is that it's just a little bit unrealistic. You see, there are many things that, that stop others from getting to us when we need them. We've seen that, haven't we? Cancelled flights, closed borders, ill health, broken relationships. If we want someone who will meet the dream of Marvin Gaye's song, we actually find it in relationship with the living God. See, David's clear, there really ain't no mountain high enough to keep God from getting to us. That's essentially what he's saying in verse 7 and following. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, whether I go up, down, east or west, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And I think we need to let that that last image sink in. You see, it's not just that, that God is with us, it's that he's holding us by his right hand. It kind of makes me think, at least, of a, a father holding uh, tight to the hand of his three-year-old as he walks her through the car park. It's a picture of unfailing love, intimate relationship, and safety. And notice that no matter how dark things get for David, no matter how afflicted he feels, depressed or or lonely that he becomes, God won't lose him or let go of him in that darkness. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, no, even then, The darkness will be not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, God sees and holds his people, even when his people struggle to see and and hold him in their darkness. I love the way Jesus taps into this imagery in John chapter 10 when He speaks of his sheep who listen to his voice and says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. Lord, you know me. Lord, you're with me. But third, Lord, you made me. And therefore, I am valuable in your sight. I wonder if you've ever questioned your worth or value as a person. See, I, I think we can actually do this a little bit when we are incredibly lonely. What's wrong with me? Why do I struggle so much to have deep friendships? Why, why do others seem to be in these tight friendships and romantic relationships, but not me? Why am I always the one to have to make the first move with people? It kind of feels like no one really values me. See, when we feel like this, we actually need to do what David does and get our sense of identity and our value from God, our creator, not from others. See, God made us and he values what he makes. 
And notice that, that David isn't just saying in verses 13 and following that, God, you're the creator of life. No, it's actually much more personal than that. David is saying, God, you created my life. Verse 13, you, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, parents might uh, get occasionally surprised by the news of a baby on the way, but not God. There are no surprises with God. No accidents with God. He is right there at the beginning of life, forming us getting us ready for all the days that he's ordained for us, whether they be short or long. See, look at verse 16, uh, verse 15, rather. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And notice that God's not just like a, a worker on a, on a production line here, putting each person together one by one, kind of detached. No, it's actually much more relational than that, isn't it? What he makes, he values. And so we see it in verse 17 that he actually thinks about each one of these creations, one after the other. How precious to me are your thoughts, God, i.e. your thoughts about my life that I've just been talking about. How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them? Oh, that would now number the grains of the sand. See, no matter how disconnected I feel from others, I can always say that I am loved, I am valued by the one whose opinion truly matters. See, when David reflects on his relationship with God, he kind of remembers that there is actually nothing more satisfying in life than being known by God. God completely knows him. God is always present with him. God made him and therefore values him. Uh, Have you ever had something just so good, so sweet, that you just wish it wouldn't end? Maybe a truly romantic date. Maybe an awesome holiday. Maybe a fantastic burger. Uh, As good as these moments are, I think they're just always slightly tainted. They're tainted by the fact that the moment ends. Uh, The date will have to finish. You've got to return to work. The burger will get cold or you'll just eat the whole thing and it'll be gone. But you see, here's the truly good news For those who are in relationship with God, that glory will never end. And I think that's what David's getting at in the last part of verse 18, when he says, when I awake, I am still with you. See, this is the good thing that never comes to an end. David has life and relationship with God and nothing will take that from him, not even death itself. God has David for eternity. Uh, In Psalm 17, David uses that same expression when he's 
describing the contrast between the wicked, whose pleasure is bound up in this life only, with himself, who, who looks forward to eternal life beyond this world with God. Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, as for me, I will be vindicated when I, and I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied, satisfied with seeing your likeness. Lord, you were with me in the womb. Lord, you're with me in my days on earth. Lord, you'll be with me for eternity. When I awake, I'm still with you. Uh, David is showing us that though we might be lonely, we are with God, we are never truly alone. He knows us, he's with us, he made us. Now, it's kind of tempting to just end the psalm there, isn't it? And perhaps you were thinking about that as Jane did that wonderful reading for us just a moment ago. Maybe you were thinking, hmm, did verses 19 to 24 really need to be on the end of this psalm? It was so nice up to that point. Well, I think it's actually good that they are. You see, these last verses help remind us that the Psalms aren't sentimental only. They're not just for our hallway walls to be hung up. No, the Psalms are the words of real people. With real and raw emotions like us. People who get sad, lonely, distressed, angry. These verses remind us that when we feel grieved by life and by the sin we see in this world, we can likewise go to God, who knows us, who made us, who's with us, and we can be real with him and ask him for help. So let's listen to David's final words, verse 19, Lord, hear my cry. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, Away from me, you, you, blood, you who are bloodthirsty. See, David goes to God with his distress about the wicked that he lives amongst. But how should we process the, the emotion in these words? Well, just think for a moment how you would feel if the person you most loved in life was being unfairly attacked maligned, ridiculed. Think about your dear mother, your precious child, your best friend. Well, I think you'd be distressed by that, wouldn't you? Angered? I mean, if I heard someone speaking uh, degrading lies about my wife, well, that would enrage me. Why? Because I actually love my wife and I'm zealous to honour her and her reputation. And I actually think a similar thing is going on here in these last verses. See, it's not spite that's driving David's words, but zeal. Zeal for the God he loves and has just been singing praises to. See, notice in verse 20 that David doesn't say, Lord, they speak of me with evil intent. No, it's, Lord, they speak of you with evil intent. And actually, that's what infuriates him. 
God, I can't stand it. They misuse your name. They hate you. Verse 21, they're in rebellion to you. See, David gets very honest with God. He pours it all out there. He says, do I not hate and abhor them? I have nothing but hatred for them, verse 22. I count them as my enemies. But you see, notice that David's zeal for God doesn't just make him look out there at those people. It actually gets him to look inward at his own life too. He wants God to to help him guard his heart, to not slip into the way of the wicked that would rebel against God. Look at verses 23 to 24. Search me. God, and know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David's words here remind us that we still live in a sinful and broken world as we walk with God this side of heaven. But they also remind us how to process evil and and brokenness as we see it living in this world. Like David, we are to, to go to God with that distress. God is just. He'll ultimately deal with sin and end all suffering. The death, resurrection and promised return of Jesus assures us of that. And God is gracious He will help those who call on him. He will sustain us. He will give us grace to endure. And that's why David doesn't take matters into his own hands, but gives this emotion over to God. Loneliness, like all forms of suffering, reminds us that we walk with God in a broken world like David. We grieve as we feel the lack of connectedness to other people. In these moments, this psalm is telling us that we may be lonely, but we are not alone. Psalm 139 tells us of the beauty of being in a relationship with the living God. We are known by him. We are safe with him. We are made and valued by him, and we can cry out to him, knowing that he hears us. You see, this is what we need to cling to as we walk with God in times of loneliness. Because the reality is that most of us will at some point fall into the statistics that I mentioned at the start of the sermon. We too will walk a lonely road. Now, feelings of loneliness can happen really at any time. But I think there are certain times in life where we can feel particularly disconnected from others. It might come when we move cities for study or work or where we move to the mission field as a missionary. It might come amidst a chronic illness that leaves us shut in and alone for extended hours by ourselves in the house. It might come in the context of long-term singleness where we desperately desire to find someone. It might come in the context of an unhappy marriage. It might come when we lose a loved one or when our children move out of home. It might come in the context of being cooped up with small children and unable to get that adult conversation that you're looking for. Most of us 
And for most of us, walking the lonely road isn't a matter of if, but when. You see, the good news of this passage tells us that for those who belong to God, though we are lonely, we're never alone. And actually, as we see the rest of the biblical story unfold, God makes it clear that the only way to belong to him and to know his presence as David does, well, we need to trust in and follow Jesus. You see, the truth is that there's actually something worse than being cut off from other people, and that is bad. And that is actually being cut off from God because of our sin. That is, because of our desire to live life on our terms, not God's terms. See, that that way of life doesn't bring that hand of comfort that we heard about, but that does bring God's hand of judgment. But in his deep love for us, God sent his son, Jesus, to bear our sin on the cross, forgiving us of our sin and bringing us into relationship with God now and into eternity. Because of Jesus, we can say like David, when I awake, I am still with you, God. We can know that Jesus will lead us in the way everlasting. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, the glory of God's presence in our lives is only possible because the glory of God's forgiveness of our sin through faith in Jesus. Jesus walked that lonely road to the cross so that you will never have to walk any of your lonely roads without God again. Now, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus listening uh, to this tonight, but maybe you like the idea that the living God would hold you by his right hand and that he would carry you into an eternity with him. If that's the case, I'd love to keep speaking to you about Jesus, but perhaps you'd also like to join us in the Christianity Explored course that's starting this Tuesday. But either way, relationship with God is something worth investigating. Uh, But for those of you who do follow Jesus, I just want to wrap up by thinking about three ways this psalm teaches us to walk with God, particularly in times of loneliness. It teaches us to, to see God rightly, to talk to God honestly, and to hope in God patiently. So it, it teaches us to see God rightly. See, one thing is for sure in Psalm 139 is that David sees the beauty of God, the beauty of his God. He relishes the fact that God knows him at a deep level, that God is with him wherever he goes, and that God has made him and therefore values him greatly. Does the way you see God match the way David sees God? Or is your view of God somewhat cold? Maybe you think of him as 
distant, unconcerned, perhaps even spiteful. Sometimes when we're very low, that's how we can feel. But that's not the picture we're given here, and it's not the picture of God that we see in Jesus. See, you can't look at Jesus' death for you on the cross and say, God doesn't really care about me. He doesn't really want to be close to me. God couldn't help me. See, the cross tells us that no matter how lonely we are, God is committed to us. He gave up his only son to make that relationship possible. He is committed to us, committed to guiding us through our suffering, holding us in it, giving us grace to endure. Do you see God rightly? But second, this passage teaches us to speak to God honestly. You see, the more we speak to God, the more we remind ourselves of what is true, that we are not alone. God is with us and invites us to be real with him about how we're going. David doesn't just pour out praise here, but we see him pouring out raw and intense emotion to the God he loves and trusts in. But you see, sometimes I think prayer can be difficult when we're suffering and and particularly when we're very lonely. Everything just seems a bit harder when life is tough. And we might just think, I know I should be praying, but I don't really know what to say. I don't really completely feel like it either. If you're struggling with prayer, then you may actually want to let the words of this psalm and other psalms actually guide you and help you in your prayers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the psalms the prayer book of the Bible. They give us words to speak to God when we struggle to think of what to say. So many of them match where we're at in our emotions and in our life. So perhaps this week you you may want to actually take various sections of this psalm and and bring it into your prayers. You, You could just possibly say, Dear Heavenly Father, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God, you know I'm feeling lonely and disconnected. Please refresh my soul with these words and help me to feel their truth in my life. Speak to God honestly, but thirdly, hope in God patiently. Psalm 139 teaches us to hope in God patiently. A relief from loneliness may not come quickly. Like David, we may be called to patiently hope in our God through various and extended times of loneliness. But what we see in David is that he knew that patient hope was always worth it. God would continue to hold him by his right hand, sustaining him in in this life and carrying him into eternity in the next. I love Paul's description of a particular widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 5. He describes the widow who is alone and yet hopes in God. 
The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. You see, this woman knows that though she may be lonely on her own and in need, she's actually not alone. She uh, may not have a family that can provide for her needs, but she's got God. She has hope in him that he will sustain her, often through the needs, uh, often through the charity of his people. But as a Christian widow, she also has hope that God will one day bring an end to her loneliness, her need, her desperation in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, our world likes to convince us that it has the ultimate answer to loneliness. Rom-coms tell us that it's found in finding our soulmates. Uh, Pornography tells us that it's found in online illicit sexual intimacy. Social media tells us that it's found in being more and more connected to people. Netflix tells us that it's found in the relationships we develop with the characters we love to watch. In fact, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, said in an interview a couple of years ago that fundamentally we are about eliminating loneliness and boredom. Now, boredom may be, but not loneliness. You see, Netflix and other forms of pleasure offer mere distraction, not elimination. And I suspect most of you who are listening and feel lonely know that there's actually no amount of Netflix that will really satisfy uh, your longing. See, if we want our loneliness to be truly eliminated, we actually need to look not to the creator of Netflix, but to the creator of us, who promises to make all things new when Christ returns. No more tears, no more pain, no more loneliness. Just sweet fellowship with God and his people for eternity. Uh, Cammy has a bedtime book called A Hundred Extraordinary Stories for Courageous Girls. It tells the story of a hundred different unbelieving women in church history who really showed remarkable faith in their lifetimes. A couple of nights ago, we read the story of Amy Carmichael. She was a young woman who grew up in the UK, but moved to India to look after orphans and teach them the gospel. And she did that for 55 years. Amy remained single her whole life. And in her, in her later years, she spoke about her decision to turn down marriage to serve in India and the loneliness that that actually meant for her in her early years. Uh, She speaks about going to a cave in the mountains of India, kind of like David in many respects, in a cave. And she recalls being in that cave and, and thinking these words. I had feelings of fear about the future, The devil kept on whispering, it's all right now, but what about afterward? You are going to be very lonely. He painted pictures of loneliness. I turned to my God in desperation and said, Lord, what can I do? How can I go on to the end? 
And he said, none of them that trust in me shall be desolate. A quote from Psalm 34. That word has been with me ever since. You see, Amy Carmichael learnt to walk with her God in loneliness and, and found satisfaction in him. He was the God who knew her. He was the God who was always with her, even as she settled on the far side of the sea. He was the God who made and valued her. He was the God she could always cry out to. He was the God she was happy to give up everything for. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we, like Amy Carmichael, will experience loneliness. But this passage has shown us that even though we may be lonely, we are not truly alone. His right hand will hold us fast in Christ. Uh, let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you that in Christ we can sing along with David that you know us, that you're with us, that you made us and value us. May we remember in times of loneliness that you, uh, that we are not alone, but that you do hold us firm by your right hand. And we thank you for that. Amen.